Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. I want you to reflect on your childhood and tell us the first brand that you remember having an impact on you. Oh, I'm going to be so cliche. I'm going to say Nike, but that's, you know, it's, it's true. I had the poster of Carl Lewis in my room. Mm, yeah. Uh, it was America. You know, it was a, for me, it was America. It was the USA, you know, t-shirts. It was the Olympics. Uh, it was everything that was great about being an athlete was America and was Nike. Um, so definitely the most impactful brand um, when I was a kid, which is funny because it wasn't about the product. I didn't own any Nike. I didn't own anything Nike until I joined Nike. Uh, I didn't have Nike footwear, but I loved the brand, which is that's the power of a brand, right? Like, yeah, it you is. love the brand so much. You don't even have to own the product. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who, how many brands can say that? Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it. And the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today in the CMO podcast is Sophie Bambuk, the first ever chief marketing officer at Everlane the 11-year-old San Francisco-based clothing brand that differentiates itself on a concept it calls radical transparency. That is showing the consumer the costs and business practices associated with the company's products. Everlane plans to double its retail footprint in the next year and has a reported valuation of $825 million. My guest today, Sophie, knows a bit about brand building. She spent 13 years at Nike and Converse before leaving the iconic Oregon company for Everlane in February 2021. Sophie was on the swim team for the UCLA Bruins before earning her MBA from Georgetown University. She's both a French citizen and a U.S. permanent resident. Lucky her. This is my conversation with Sophie Bambu. Sophie, welcome to the CMO Podcast. I feel we have an immediate connection. My <laughs> wife went to UCLA. My daughter went to UCLA. And the marketing director at my company not only went to UCLA, but she was a swimmer at UCLA. Oh, that's amazing. Listen, I'm really looking forward to this podcast for a lot of reasons, but one of them is that I wear all three brands that you have worked on in your career today. Yeah. And I have admired all of them for different reasons. But I first want to talk about your path to these three companies. And I think I have your background right, and we got the swimming part. But you, mm -hmm. you grew up in Paris. Your dad was in advertising? Correct. You went to UCLA, which we talked. You got your MBA at Georgetown in Washington, D.C. You started at Nike in 2008, worked there 13 years with a Sint, a CMO at Converse, and now CMO at Everlane. Mm -hmm. So 
Did I get it right? You got it right. Now, I, I want you to talk a bit about your dad was in advertising. How much of that had an influence on your career choice? Big influence. Uh, I mean, to this day, my dad has a big influence on just my life choices. I'm always, he's always that voice in the back of my head. Um, my dad is a perfectionist and he expects only great things. Um, so uh, you never want to disappoint him. I think, you know, growing up, uh, before being in, in advertising, my, my dad uh, was actually a uh, professor of um, Latin and Greek. Um, and uh, he is a fantastic writer, a fantastic communicator. And I come from a family, my mother is a lawyer, you know, we've had politicians. So the spoken word and the written word are <laughs> dominant. Um, and you have to be able to express yourself quite well. And I think um, that really was uh, essential, um, an essential part of our upbringing. Every logo we would see on the street, my dad would ask us, "Why explain the logo? Why do you think that is the logo? Why do you think they landed on this line? What does it mean? Um, so we had to think about the meaning of things. Um, and you, I'm sorry, I say we because I'm always referencing my sister and I. We're very close. I also understood the importance of being able to advocate for myself. Um, my father uh, was uh, leading an advertising agency as a black man in France. Which one did he lead, Sophie? He built his own agency called Bamba, but he, before that, he worked at um, uh, Leo Burnett and uh, he worked at uh, Avas. Um, and so those were, that was his upbringing. And then he opened his own company in 1990. Um, and, uh, that was rare. <laughs> that was rare. One to go ahead and, and build your own, but for, um, uh, again, a black man to be successful in that space. And he's been successful until he retired, um, a very successful career. Um, so, so understanding, um, I go back to the word resilience. It's funny. I, I, I don't always <laughs> use that word, but today it's coming up. Um, that's been extremely important, but be able to advocate for yourself. I, I had to do a pitch if I wanted a new pair of jeans. I had to present to my family why I needed a new pair of jeans. Um, if I wanted to do something other than the plans, the family plans for the summer, I had to pitch what my plan was. So I definitely, uh, definitely learned valuable lessons uh, because I think of, of both of my parents' uh, careers. Um, they really influenced us that way. Your dad must have been so proud when you worked for Nike. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think he framed my first business card <laughs> that was in his office. So people could, uh, that was a conversation piece. Um, absolutely. But I, I mean, I think throughout, you know, um, he's, he's, yeah, he's a proud parent. He's an even prouder grandfather. Um, uh, Obnoxiously so, I'll say. Oh, that's the only way to be as a grandfather. <laughs> that's very true. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, he he loves, I think, the careers that both my sister and I ha have chosen. And, and I think he's, uh, you know, Nike was, you know, such, is such an emblematic and, and huge brand. Um, working in marketing at Nike is, is fantastic. It's, it's the best marketing school in the world. Yeah, very proud. Now, I want you to talk about on this wonderful career to date. Tell me, tell us one or two of the toughest decisions you had to make. Um, 
I mean, the most recent one was choosing to leave Nike. You know, um, it wasn't a, an overnight decision. Uh, I also left on a high. Um, so a lot of people were wondering why, why would I leave? Why now? Um, and, you know, but calculated, you know, a calculated decision. Um, but it's never easy to leave. You leave, you feel like you're leaving your family. You feel like you're leaving your friends and you have to remind yourself, no, they'll still be there. <laughs> You'll just be working somewhere else. And I, and I still love the brand. Um, but I can love the brand without working for it. And and I had to learn that. I actually had to kind of, you know, set my mind to, wait, it's possible. I'm not saying goodbye. I'm just going to be on the other side and that's okay. Um, so that, that was very much a hard decision. Um, I've been quite lucky in the sense that my hard decisions don't seem that hard. Um, you know, my hard decisions have been you know, do I disregard a direction and go on my own, you know, uh, which I've done quite a few times. I think it's necessary, um, mostly when you're in the market. You know, when I was um, and leading Nike Sportswear marketing in Europe, um, you know, directions was coming from Global uh, and Global is in Portland, Oregon. So Global doesn't necessarily see the differences between uh, Italian culture and British culture and what's happening in those markets. and so. Um, yeah, I've had to make calls that were disruptive uh, to the overall strategy, maybe. But was it hard? <laughs> in retrospect, no. On, in the moment, yes. I mean, I probably was sweating bullets and just really worried that it was uh, something was going to happen. Um, but those are not hard decisions. They're, they're, you know, again, calculated risk. I do believe in calculated risk. Um, uh, it starts usually with a gut instinct and a gut feeling, but then it's it's about evaluating that feeling and deciding, okay, do I act on it or not? So I'm going to ask you the question I get asked. I've been asked probably a thousand times. Why did you leave Nike? I get asked the same mm -hmm. thing with PNG. Why did you leave Nike? Um, I left Nike for a few reasons. Um, the most low-hanging, like banal one is I was at almost 14 years and I didn't want to be known for one thing. I didn't want to just be a Nike marketer. That was one, one of the early reasons why I was thinking of leaving. Ultimately, what drove me to not just leave Nike, but to leave Nike to join Everlane. Because I don't know that I would have left Nike if it was maybe to join another brand. Um, it was really about how I was using my power and what kind of impact I could have. Nike is a very big machine. And I was leading the marketing for the largest category that Nike had. Yet my impact or my influence was, I mean, I couldn't tell you if I really truly had impact and influence on the direction of the company. And I felt that I wanted to go out, spread my wings, see what I can do and what kind of positive impact I could have on the world on, you know, outside of Nike. Nike was a safety net. Um, you can take you can make mistakes and nobody will know you made a mistake. Um, and I felt like it was time for me to see what I could do. Um, and I wanted to do it somewhere where I felt uh, I want a mission driven company. I wanted to work for a brand that I believed in. And I wanted to feel like it could have a positive impact on the world. Um, that was super important to me. I didn't want to leave to just do marketing. 
that that's not the point. The point is to, um, yeah, use use my. I, use, I always say it's like using my my power. I think you know we all have power. It's a question of what do we do with it. And so I wanted to. It was time. It was time to spread my wings and and try. And then I you know I also left at a time when Nike was going through this massive reshuffle and and then you have to think do i want to use all my energy helping the next strategy or do i you want to use that energy to help the strategy somewhere else and that's kind of that helped really tip the scale how did you meet everlane or how would how did that connection happen well i was i was a consumer i was um Mm. a consumer you know, not 10 years ago, actually, Everlane started in 2011. I think I, I bought, I was looking actually, I, I bought my first um, piece, I think in 2014 or 15. And um, I thought it was genius. I thought it was genius because I, I, it's, it's intelligent. It's highbrow without being in your face, you know, uh, without being annoying. Um, it's well thought. Um and it was at the time uh, Everlane was doing choose your own price, which I thought was disruptive, uh, um, innovative. Like it, it, it was just good. It was well done. Um, the communication was done. The product was good. So yeah, I, I just became a fan, you know, um, and a consumer. And uh, when I heard that Everlane was looking for a head of brand, um, I don't know if it was a CMO yet. Actually, when I when I heard about it. Um, and I thought about it, and then my first instinct, like, wait, but what have they done lately? You know, I was I was not necessarily, you know, I love the brand, but what have they done lately? And it was not until I spoke with Michael Pressman, the, the founder, that I understood more. And I, I just, and talking to Michael and then talking to other uh, members of, of the leadership team and, and of the marketing team, it just felt right. It just felt like the right place to to be. Yeah. Just one more question about Nike, and then we're going to move into Everlane. What's the one profound lesson from your time in those 13 or 14 years that you carry forward in your approach to brands and marketing now? You have to make people's lives easier in order to be valuable. I really believe that brands have to serve a clear purpose for the life of the consumer in order to be relevant in order to last the test of time and everything at nike starts with product benefit what is the benefit to the consumer it doesn't matter what it is it can be the running shoe to the best marathoner in the world or it can be a hoodie you know for the cool kid why did we build that piece what is the purpose and how do we communicate that purpose? And uh, too often, there's just stuff out there. There's a lot of stuff. <laughs> Not everything has a purpose. Um, but that's definitely what I learned. Um, and that I keep at the center of everything. Why? What is the reason a consumer would care about you um, and about your product? That's Ultimately, that's at the core of, of the Nike DNA. And I, I truly believe that that's essential for everyone, for all brands. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 
81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. Now you're about four or five months into this new role at this Mm -hmm. new company. You're the first CMO. And I want to start with why did Everlane, the CEO and the leadership team, decide they wanted a CMO ahead of marketing? I think the first, I'd say the first, maybe that's the only reason actually, but the, 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 the main reason is I think the company is now understanding it's, it's about to be 10 years old um, and it's growing up and it's really about bringing in people who have knowledge in the fields. Um, so Everlane has gone through hiring a head of people and a head of, you know, product, you know, having people who really know the craft um, because there wasn't that necessarily that knowledge. Although Everlane has done fantastic communication uh, for the past 10 years, but there wasn't necessarily um, uh, expertise at a leadership level. And uh, so it's, it's really about bringing, bringing that. Um, and then also, I think we're entering a new era right now. The 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 focus for Everlane is moving from being a vertical, direct company that sells products to being a brand. And it's really hard to do unless you actually set up the organization a certain way, think about brand and marketing a little bit differently. And that does require, I think that does require a little bit of expertise in terms of how to build a brand versus building a company that makes great product. Um, so that's that's really the evolution and that's the aspiration that we build a brand. Is there anyone on the outside that you think has done this well that you're looking at for inspiration? I mean, would away luggage be in there? Or what are some of the brands that you think? It's I, I think about this often. I feel yeah. like there are a ton of vertical direct companies that have done a really good job at being known for specific things. I don't know that that many have built brands in in the when i think of a brand i think of a full ecosystem and a well-rounded ecosystem um that provides not just product but content and and community and engagement and enablement um i think lululemon has done a really good job i think lululemon has done a really good job um but there's not in terms of the traditional, like those who kind of like rose with Everlane uh, about 10 years ago, not, not that many have really built brands per se. What was your remit coming in, Sophie? And how much did you have a role in, in designing or creating that remit? I think I've been very involved and very, you know, I think Michael had a, had a clear point of view and a clear hope. And again, you know, building the brand is number one, building the brand, building an organization, uh, building a team. Uh, creative and marketing were actually two separate teams before I joined. Um, so making it seamless. Um, and for me, it's a no brainer. I've actually never experienced creative and marketing not working as one team. So bring, you know, coming in was like, let's build a team and let's build a brand. Um, 
And the way to actually do that uh, was to first come, you know, sit down and think about, okay, well, maybe we need to rethink also what is our, our mission? What exactly do we stand for? Um, and th- that I was able to come in and, and help uh, craft. Now, granted, a lot of work had already started before I joined, which made my life a little bit easier. <laughs> it's always good when everybody's on the same page and, and going in that, that direction. But I was able to work back with with uh, the leadership team and, and and Michael and be very precise about, OK, well, here's what we need to do and in what order, because it's so easy to put the cart before the horse. We're at the foundational step right now where we're finalizing our, our mission. I think we're, we're, we're good. We're aligned. It's about getting the organization on board. We're building the teams. Um, and the next step very quickly is to, you know, get loud and share what the brand is about to the world. Any insights for our listeners? You're about to be loud with your mission or your purpose. I guess we could use those interchangeably mm-hmm. here. Any learning or lessons in getting to this point with Everlane? You know, because of course it has to be felt and believed by everyone. Yeah. And be authentic to where you came from and where you want to go. And, and it has to be interior, inside the company and outside the company, you know, harmonious and synergistic. So what lessons have you learned in these four months about getting everyone together? That it takes time, <laughs> that it takes time, that you have to be patient. It's about listening, first of all, right? You, I had an idea of what I wanted to be going in. I won't lie. You know, it's like you start, you take a job and you're like, oh, I'm going to do this, this and that. But you have to listen. You have to um, stay true to the DNA of the brand. You have to stay true to the intent of the brand. So you have to listen and, and learn for sure. But you shouldn't get stuck in the past. So my vision right now is to actually create the next 10 years. So you have to acknowledge the past 10, um, but you have to build a mission that allows you to get to the next 10. And um, that does require listening and involving different groups uh, to make sure that we're all aligned. We don't have to all agree, but we have to be aligned and we have to uh, understand where our differences might be and leave nothing up to interpretation. So you have to be very precise about the words you use and what you mean by those words so that, you know, convenient confusion um, happens a lot and mm-hmm. you don't want yeah. that to happen. You have to actually be very precise about the the words and the mission that you're, you're building. Uh, and once you actually can do that internally, then you can actually start sharing that externally. And that should start coming to life through your creative that should come to life through um, your strategies and uh, your broadcasting methods. And, um, and again, you know, it, it takes time and there will always be not detractors, but there'll always be some who don't fully, you know, get it. And you have, you have to, you know, proof of concept, you have to show them why it will work. And that's, that's really the part that takes time. Um, But I have to say, I have, I have found, People at Everlane have been very open to change and everybody is so optimistic about the future that it's, it's been e- an easier task to come and propose something um, uh, or a solution, a potential solution for the future, because everybody's so open to what's coming next and, and so excited about um, the possibilities. Sophie, you're four months into this role. Where do you start on the organization? You, know, you inherit it, I'm, sur- I'm sure, some kind of marketing organization. This is way different from Nike. You're small. You're building for the future. So how are you going about deciding which capabilities you want to build, what kind of team, what 
what, what you do inside Everlane mm-hmm. and what you outsource. So could you walk us through your thinking four months into the job on that? Yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny. I learned a lot from um, joining Converse as a CMO because that was my first CMO role. And I, I learned. <laughs> I definitely learned about what to do and what not to do. I don't know that I have it dialed yet. But for me, the first thing is, was understanding and being very real with my, um, with my opportunities or rather the areas that I'm less uh, comfortable leading. And so with that in mind, um, although again, you know, I've been evolving in the creative space forever, but I'm not a creative director. And so the first thing I, I, I wanted to do is make sure that we had a great creative leader. Um, and so that was my first, um, the first step was bringing uh, our new uh, global creative director. Um, we uh, brought Shu Hong uh, on board and that, that, is fantastic. She's three weeks in, um, but uh, already I feel uh, the impact. So that was first understanding, okay, where do I really need help? Because uh, I've been doing brand management my whole career. So the, the part of, of marketing that I know best is that area. And it's too tempting to just go straight there and go deep. Um, you first, what I've learned actually is I first have to go into those areas that maybe I'm I'm not going to be able to be as impactful. So getting help. Um, and getting the right type of help. So that was really the first step. Um, the second step, honestly, right now is building the bench. So we have, um, I think, some great leaders. Some of them are just onboarding now. Um, but we, uh, over time, um, one, because the team was waiting for me to really to join, to backfill some roles or to build the team. And so it's been about a year of you know the team being extremely thin. Um, so now it's really about bringing people who can help execute the work um, while we're at the same time building the strategy um, and uh, lending a better process. I think, um, you know, again, 10 years of of Everlane, and I think the process has remained the same, although the company is much larger than what it used to be. And now the process can no longer accommodate the amount of product we have, the amount of stories we have, and and honestly, the ambition to become a brand. So it's about revisiting the go-to-market process, revisiting uh, our operating model, um, revisiting our relationships uh, with uh, products, with agencies, with vendors. Um, so all of that comes into play. And I have to say it's, it's simultaneous. I wish it could be one after the other, but it's all happening simultaneously because we have the ambition to move fast. Um, but it's really assessing, assessing the work that needs to be done. And then based on the work that needs to be done, it's assessing the team uh, and the skill set and then complementing or supporting the team where we can. There's probably blueprints to do this. I don't know. <laughs> I'm kind of going with what I see and where are the areas um, where I can help improve and tackling those uh, as I go. The, the biggest thing is to stay high level right now. It's how do I stay focused on where we're going it's really easy to get dragged down into the weeds and start fixing little things. Uh, and it's super tempting as well, right? You see it or you like, oh, and let me change that. And it's, it's a constant daily reminder that I need to stay and, and um, pull up and think about the long term. Um, because if we really build the strategy, if we build the foundation, if I manage to bring a, a great team together, then I won't have to worry about the small things in the future. Uh, but it is hard. It's, you know, I, I'm a little bit of a 
I've had to learn to micromanage less. So <laughs> it's very tempting to go into the weeds. I think, I think you said it well. From all my experience, you're tackling it the right way. You know, mm. I, I always think about the five C's. When you think about marketing, there's the work you do, the core work. There's the capabilities you build. There's where you want competitive advantage. There's the culture you build. And there's the career yeah. path that supports it. it it's yeah. kind of that simple. And Absolutely. someone has to do that work, and usually it's the CMO who has to lead it. Absolutely, it's uh, it's fun though. I mean, it's uh, it's a lot of work. It's but it's if it's done properly uh, and in the right order, in a way, um, it can live long term. Uh, now, granted, long term nowadays it's probably not that long. Yeah, <laughs> but. Um, but that's the intent, yeah. Sophie, what are some of the signs that you're building a brand at Everlane versus a products company? The first is creating an emotional reaction to the brand. Um, I think that's what we've been missing a little bit. I think we've been extremely intellectual and we've created um, awareness, interest, education. We haven't necessarily created... The, I always reference the goosebumps. Like, you, you know, you really love a brand and you become loyal to that brand that when they make you get those goosebumps. Um, and it's true, you know, if you cry at something, if you laugh at something, then you kind of connect personally with it. And for me, that's that's the number one priority is how do we create this emotional connection? We just launched a new category uh, or swimwear and we decided to go differently you know i i wanted to bring in imperfection i wanted to bring in joy i wanted to bring in laughter and sound and because it was missing because we want people want to feel the environment we haven't necessarily explained the environment the everlane environment um i want to know what everlane smells like you know and so that to me um lending that is how i know that we're in the right path and swim really resonated. It was a small campaign. We barely had any media dollars against it, you know, um, because it was, it's a, it's a small category, but it was the best category launch we've ever had ever. And it, it really were, it really resonated with the consumer. So that's how I know that, you know, there's an appetite for it. People want to live in the Everlane world. We just need to give it to them. Um, and I just want to create goosebumps. How did you make swimwear resonate so effectively? What was it? It was a combination of leveraging um, models who were friends and who interacted with each other in a playful way. It was the combination of uh, the music and the soundtrack. How do you convey that emotion? You, I mean, I still, we still all in the office listen to the soundtrack. The soundtrack alone was great. Um, it's also about. Um, a photo direction that made you, you just want to be there. I just want to hang out with them. Uh, and there's swim, everybody comes out with swimwear, right? And so you can, you know, you can, you can portray it in many different ways. We chose to be a little bit more, again, you know, a bit more real, less posed, less precious. Um, and I think that really, that helped, that helped give a dimension to not just swimwear, but to Everlane that maybe we didn't have before. Sophie, I have one last question for you. It's a, it's a quote, you know, I, I did my research on you and I found a quote that is very remarkable. And I just, we kind of have been talking about this, but I want to read it and have you react to it. 
Consumers are seeking purpose-led brands and will poke deep into the brand operating model, beliefs, and value system. Could you speak a little bit more about that and how that has impacted how you approach your role here at Everlane? Mm-hmm. I have a, a former boss who really is a mentor. Um, he was my boss actually in, in, uh, at Nike in, in Europe. Uh, Edgar Jorison. And he would always say, things need to be 100% wild tuna. Now, it sounds weird, <laughs> I know. But when you buy a can of wild tuna, and if it says 100% wild tuna on it, you expect it to have 100% wild tuna in it. And if it don't, you, if it doesn't, you lose trust. Uh, in fact, there was a reporting, there was a this came from a, a, a TV show in, in the Netherlands where literally they researched and they found that there wasn't 100% wild tuna and the company actually went bankrupt. People stopped buying it. I truly believe that whatever you give, you say, you tell the consumer needs to be authentic all the way through, not just to protect your back. Of course, from a legal standpoint, you want to make sure you're, you're dialed, right? Um, but also because that is how you create trust. That's how you build trust. That's how you keep trust. You have to be authentic all the way through. And I know it's hard. It's really hard. There's always that one thing that happens that you didn't think about. Oh, and But you have to do the best you can to think through everything you are saying or giving the consumer. Because if you're saying that you are a certain way, you have to actually be a certain way. And we've we've all, you know. This year has been a year of reckoning. Everybody's realized we're flawed. There's issues like across the board. I'm not even talking about Everlane here. Like, I, you know, everybody's realized, wait, we have bigger problems that we were not acknowledging. But if we start by just saying every, everything I do, even if it's a small action, as long as you can say through and through, it's authentic and real, then you can actually live with yourself, first of all, but also create an affinity and a trust and a bond with the consumer. So I, I, of course, the consumer will poke. But before the consumer pokes, you have to do that work. You have to make sure um, that you are dialed. It's you, in order to, in order to say, you have to do in order to do, you have to be. And you have to be authentic and genuine. Um, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm also not advocating for perfection. I think perfection is really hard to accomplish, but you have to do the best you can. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Sophie, I want to move to the last section of the podcast, which we call the creator brief. And we're going to sort of talk about a creator brief on you. Oh, gosh. And, <laughs> and the, the first question is, you grew up in Paris, but I believe your family history traces back to Africa and your an mm -hmm. ancestors were enslaved and brought to the Caribbean. How's that impact your worldview? Oh, it's complex. It's, um, you know, I'm, I'm very light. I'm very light skinned. 
Um, and I'm French, so uh, I'm not African American. Um, and most people would never wouldn't call me black until I I, I tell them. Um, I, um, you know, it's not something growing up actually that we talked about too much. Uh, it was just, it just was. I think my my parents are also a little bit old school, uh, where, you know, you didn't, you know, talk about how you know nowadays everybody will talk about you know how they feel and how you know how they're treated or you know that never came up when I was a kid and even today it's funny my dad is like it's you know it's fine you take it you take it and you makes you stronger and you grow and uh, whether it is being a woman or being black whatever it is it's like you you just take it and you you know build a, a stronger skin um, so very different um, very different approach than I think a lot of parenting today for sure. Um, but I think it's given me like I I I love multiculturalism. I love global people. I we're raising our kids to like you know each time they meet somebody with an accent, it's like remember if they have an accent, that means they speak another language. Like that's brilliant, right? And um, I think that's been the most positive is like understanding that uh, different is very often you know very good um it's not weird it's it's good and um so yeah i've never growing up, i was never like my the majority of my classmates i was never and then you know went to ucla and then uh, suddenly i was a french kid you know I, i've never really looked like any <laughs> anyone i was around either through my background or um through my physical appearance or my accent um you know now i now i like it but it created some insecurity i mean it makes you resilient again. It makes you strong, uh, and it makes you appreciate the world as a whole. Um, it's a very big world we live in. Resilience—a theme in this podcast. That might, know, it may sorry. be the title. It may be the title. We'll, <laughs> we'll see. Know. We'll we'll listen to it again and think about it. This is a really unfair question because you've been involved in so many interesting campaigns. But is there one marketing campaign, advertising campaign? that you've been associated with that stands out above the rest? You know, the, my, my biggest thing, my biggest successes or memories are, aren't really the campaigns. There are the activations uh, that involve consumers. So it's usually part of the campaign, but it's not the shoot or the video. It's what we did on the ground. Um, Air Max Day, for instance, for me has always resonated because of the activations on the ground um one year in london we did um we called it on air and it was basically we're bringing kids into a studio and they learned creative arts so they learned photography they learned how to write a zine and the the the, the emotion the energy was so amazing. I remember, I remember how I felt being in that space and some great people worked on it. It wasn't obviously, it, it, it wasn't my, my work actually. It was the, the London team's work, but it was a result of a, a larger, a larger um, uh, brand offense around Air Max. Um, but that, that to me is so, so much more impactful. And I'm not saying TV ads are, <laughs> are not great, but what I care most about is really this one-on-one personal. I want to see a kid smile. I want to see them feel it. Um, and those are usually the moments that really 
oof, you know, I worked on the Nike Women's San Francisco Marathon for many mm. years. That's a highlight for me. Now, at the time you would have asked me, I probably hated it. It was so hard. It was so much work. You know, so many problems you would never think you would have. People injured on course. You know, you have like 40,000. One year we had 30,000 runners. Like the, 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 the magnitude. Yeah, my um, daughter My daughter has run in it. Oh, that's great. It, it that's is great. an incredible experience. Yeah. And, and that's every single one of those at 18 months of work. Uh, it's 18 months of work just for that weekend. And, but you can't take that feeling away from me ever like that. When, when the gun goes, it's the best emotion you have. You're like, those people are here because we uh, enabled them to experience this. Uh, that for me is the best feeling as a marketer. Um, so Yes, I've got to do great campaigns uh, with fantastic athletes and amazing photographers. Um, but what resonates definitely the most is that kind of like one-on-one physical experience um, and seeing people truly impacted by your work. You've already mentioned a mentor that you've had, and then I've mm-hmm. I've, I've read that you've also valued David Schreiber Absolutely. Uh, as a mentor. I would like you to talk about what advice and wisdom have you gotten from these mentors of yours at Nike that was so important in your development? I think the most impactful people have been those who, eh, it's not really the word care. I, you know, I feel every mentor actually has a different purpose. Um, David Schreiber was great at pushing my ability. He would set very clear goalposts. He would say, if you work on this, then you can be that. And he would help me see where I could go. Edgar explained to me the, the value of diversity of thought, for instance. Don't build a team that looks like you. Let people fail. You know, things like that. That's the beauty of Nike, by the way. You work with such brilliant people. Um, but I've been blessed with people who actually wanted to spend time talking to me and wanted to, you know, yeah, it, 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 it's part luck, part me just pushing my luck. I was also just emailing, you know, I, I had a great relationship with uh, Trevor Edwards because I just like was emailing and saying, yeah, I want to talk to you. I'm an intern. Would you have time to talk to me? Um, which by the way, is the number one advice I would give when you're an intern, you need to talk to the whole world. Because everybody knows you're at the beginning of your career and they will make the time. Take advantage. Most of those relationships, I actually got them out of like my internship because I wanted to meet people. And at that time, they're more willing to talk to you because they know you're not coming in with a business question. They, that it, it, they understand it's more of a one-on-one. That would be my number one advice to everyone is when you're a junior, just go out and, and email the whole world, meet with them. They'll make the time. It's the perfect time to do it. That's great advice, Sophie. I, I was a junior person, a brand person at P&G, and they asked me who I wanted as my mentor. And I had seen the CEO, John Pepper, on videos. And I said, I'd love him to be my mentor. <laughs> That's fantastic. And they had said, so we've never gotten that question before. Let, we'll ask him. And he, of course, said yes. That's brilliant. You know, of course. Yeah, of course. All right. One last question before we end this. Um, I've heard you say most of what you do is from a gut feel. <laughs> and we're, we're in this world of marketing where that's running a bit counter to 
attribution and predictive analytics and all that good stuff. So say more about how you operate with your gut feel in this world of big data, AI, and all yes. of the information we have. Isn't that the tricky part? Mm -hmm. um, well, yeah, I mean, first of all, I, I'm, I'm all for data-informed versus data-driven. Um, and to be fair, I actually think that's why so many companies are now hiring Nike people, <laughs> because Nike people are not data-driven. Um, but just in general, I think for me, it's starting from the consumer, the insight, what we believe will be right, and then double-checking with the data that it makes sense. That's kind of how I integrate the process. I don't start from the data. Uh, people are not numbers. Um, and I think too often we're looking at um, behaviors without thinking about the person's ecosystem and what is happening in their life. Um, there are still moments in the world that we need to acknowledge. There are still, you know, feelings that we need to acknowledge. That drives consumption. Uh, that drives perception, all of the above. And so if we just rely on data, we lose the human component. Uh, we can't. In marketing, you cannot lose the human component. I, I mean, I don't, I know there's so many marketing functions now that are, I feel like marketing in a lot of places has become, you know, it's about CPA and, and, and I, I get it because you want, it's hard to say the KPI is a goosebump. Mm -hmm. I get it. Um, but the reality is it is. It's a goosebump. <laughs> so, yeah. and no, and no CFO wants to hear that uh, because it, it doesn't look good on the PNL. Um, but, but the reality is, without understanding humans and understanding emotion and being personal, I don't know how you build a brand. All right, last word to you, Sophie. Anything for me before we sign off? No, no. I think I thought. Thank you for doing all this research. Of course, <laughs> it's um, you're worth it, right? If you're going to spend uh, an hour with me, I want to be ready. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for for the time. I thought it was a great conversation. Sophie, thank you. It was wonderful on many levels. I really appreciate it. That was my conversation with Sophie Bambuk. Three takeaways from this one to apply in your business and your life. First one: make connections in your company. Sophie talked about how interns should reach out to every senior manager they can to get their experience on career and on life and on business. And if you're a senior leader, be available. Make time for young employees. It's so, so important. Second takeaway, make goosebumps a KPI for your marketing. Sophie talked about when your work gives you goosebumps and gives your customers goosebumps, you are building a brand, not just a product. Last takeaway, a mission, purpose, and strong culture attract talent. Sophie left the famous brand Nike after 14 years to work for Everlane. A big reason was her ability to make an impact and the culture and purpose at Everlane. There's nothing higher leveraged than building a strong purpose and a strong culture. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.